How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich... So delicious, Dr. Pepper. So bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now. And then return to fully appreciate to this bump and a tragedy. Uh, 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 like rates? Rates? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. I'll, I'll do this the easy way. Ghosts. Arthur, I used to... I used to hunt ghosts with your uncle Cyrus. Goats? Ghosts! Ghosts! God damn it! Listen to me! The following movie is rated R. I came out the pussy talking about 13 ghosts. <laughs> Never say that again. Mike, I hope you recorded that because I want. I that did. To be... I just turned around. The first thing on this recording is Jamie saying I came out of the pussy talking about thirteen ghosts. So that's well, the even, start. I don't even need to introduce the show. Fuck it. We're we're live. Uh, I'm so happy. Most of my best material is before we record. I don't know why I'm starting the show. We. I don't know opening. why you use ClickR at this point. Just like just go into it. All right. All right. He's the guest for our Halloween party. It literally did count. The recorder did the countdown. One, two, three. I came out of the pussy talking about thirteen ghosts. Like it was dead on perfect. I mean, it would be more impressive if Jamie didn't start every podcast out that way, but she always does. It Whether is weird that you do not. that. Yeah, I gotta get I gotta get my credentials out there. I might I might have a writing gig in this sometime. Jamie, you could at least even it out and be like, I came out of the pussy talking about the rock and roller as we talk about the rock and roller or something, you know, <laughs> doom, like make it topical. Doom. Exactly. It All was right. really awkward when we recorded in that church. <laughs> All right, fine, I'll change it to ghost ship next time. There we go. Welcome to Box Office Paul, folks. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where to go from here, but welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. Tonight, we've got a bop and a movie featuring not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I'm not going to go through them all. Not even ten of your favorite ghosts, but thirteen of them. That's right. Thirteen ghosts is the movie for tonight. And I know what you're thinking. Like, thir- thirteen spelled out, or like T-H-I-R-13-E-N. And it's, it's, it's... The latter one. We're doing 13 Ghosts, the new 13 Ghosts, not the 1960s 13 Ghosts. Anyways, I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today for this bop in a movie are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. Two things. One, I mean, technically there are only 12 ghosts in this movie. Two... You're right. Fuck you, um, you're right. Two, how many acts of necrophilia took place after this movie? Like, in, in, 
in the world of the movie or just in no, general? In the, in the real world, like in general, like people watch the movie and then like got a job as a coroner and then, you know, made sweet, sweet love to some corpses. You know, I feel like that's a question beyond me. No, it's a question from beyond the grave. All right. Peter Cushing would know. And say hello to my other co-host, Jamie. So are we talking about a fully uh, awakened sexuality gear yes. specifically towards any corpse or specifically like uh, sliced up female corpses? Like, is, is, Are you imagining some guy going from uh, mortuary to mortuary looking for his own angry princess? You see, I like your version because that sounds like a movie plot and I kind of want to write that. It can be called Get Your Grave On. You know, it's just... <laughs> His his internal his eternal search for the per the perfect fuckable corpse. I come on your grave. <laughs> yes! uh, really, I, okay. I think I think though, Mike. What, what we need to pay attention to here is apparently every generation has one movie that makes it look like boning a ghost isn't that bad of an idea. I mean, actually, I take it back. Like the eighties had two of them. They had Ghost and they had Ghostbusters, where Dan Aykroyd gets the ghost blowjob. So like they they were just a generation ripe on ghost fucking. Uh, we had 13 ghosts with sexy ghosts. What, what's the new one? Is there, like, gonna be a sexy witch in, like, The Conjuring 4? I don't know, when was the last time a spirit made somebody nut in a movie? It feels like it's been a while. It has been Too a while. long. Too... Get on that shit, Hollywood. Like, long. where's, uh, fucking... Where's Rebecca Ferguson playing a ghost? Hasn't that happened? Has it? Uh, is that The Awakening? One of us would have to have watched The Awakening. I don't know, uh, boy, I'm going to be probably really wrong on this. Hold on. <laughs> I could have sworn she was in a ghost movie. Is she in The Awakening? I think uh, you're just misremembering. We're a movie podcast, and we don't know I, I, what the... Uh, I think you two are just misremembering scenes from The Snowman. Oh, no, okay, so the... the uh, <laughs> I had the Rebecca part right. There is The Awakening from 2011 with Rebecca Hall. Ah... <laughs> uh... So maybe spoilers. I don't remember enough of what happens in that movie to actually know. Yeah, if I she's mean, a if Rebecca Hall were a ghost, I'd be pretty into it. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And she's a director now, so that's even better. Ooh, I can put you in her next movie. Sorry, wait. I, if I she could like direct we're... a movie being dead as a ghost, I mean, you know. I think we've lost the plot. We're supposed to be talking about Thirteen Ghosts, right? So we lost the plot, much like the film Thirteen Ghosts. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Folks, you know the deal with our commentary series. Uh, we're going to start the movie up in a minute, and we're going to talk over it the entire time. You're welcome. Happy to Halloween, us. by the way. Happy Halloween. It's uh, October 5th. So Shh, no, they don't know this. This, 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 this is well, I told this. them they know this. They know this. No, God damn it! Uh, it's it's an illusion. Time's fake. It doesn't matter. It's always Halloween. Send shivers down my spine, Cody. Wow. But if you want to watch the movie with us and pretend it's Halloween, uh, cool, do that. I'm going to give you the official drink of the evening. And if you want to drink along with us while we watch the movie, hey, now we're talking, buddies. So tonight's drink is... Actually, I'm going to be honest with you before we get all the ingredients together. This is going to be god-awful. I haven't tried it yet. I know it's going to be bad. Don't do it. They know uh, this every time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're good. This one, I can almost guarantee you, is going to be bad. Uh, so tonight's drink is called The Graveyard. and it's uh oh god i i'm technically on call at work tonight so i'm only like i made this in a half version instead of a full version and i still think it's gonna kick my ass uh so if you're making the full version you don't make it like this i added extra booze to it to make it a 13 ghost graveyard so this version has an ounce of vodka an ounce of gin an ounce of triple sec an ounce of whiskey 
an ounce of scotch, an ounce of tequila, a half ounce of white rum, a half ounce of uh, a spice rum. I use Sailor Jerry's uh, apple rum. Uh, a half ounce of an aged rum. 13 drops of Angostura bitters. 13 drops, mind you, not dashes. Don't use dashes, you'll die. 13 drops. Uh, and and I've got that all mixed. I have this inside of uh, my Boris Karloff mummy mug with a crazy straw coming out the top. And I've got to put the last two ingredients in, so we're doing that right now to see if I accidentally destroy my laptop. Uh, so once you have all the booze mixed together, you are then going to apply a float of a lager and a stout over top of your drink. So I now have my two beers, which are in different size cans and a very tiny hole in the mummy head to pour these in because it's a tiki mug. And, ah, oh, geez, it's, it's going all right so far. Oh, oh, fuck, I spilled. Okay. I decided to not pour the uh, two beers at the same time, and that has made all the difference. Oh, boy, this is going to be bad. Ugh. Cool. Okay. I still have a lot of beer left over, so I'm going to put those in my boots to keep them cold. All right. There we go. Okay. Beers down in the boots. Mummy in hand. Let's take a sip of this, see if it's as bad as I think it's going to be. Oh. Oh. That's surprisingly not the worst thing I've ever had. It's actually <laughs> kind of palatable. <laughs> I like how you recreated the experience of watching 13 Ghosts for the first time. Um, what can I say? I mostly found like fruity versions of the alcohols I listed. Um, oh, I forgot, to, I forgot to list one. Uh, so if you're counting along with me, you're going to notice that I was short some alcohols. Uh, <laughs> so when I was making this, I realized I didn't have enough. So you also need to throw in an ounce of creme de cocoa. Do that folks at home. That'll, that'll get you, that'll get you up to 13, the magic number. There you go. Uh, it Just... also gets a little bit of a chocolatey flavor on top of everything else. So it's delicious. If you've taken a sip already, stop what you're doing. Spit it out! Do not swallow. Although, like Mike said, spoilers from the movie, there are technically 12 ghosts, so if you if you don't put a spirit in, well, you know, you're, you're technically more accurate to the movie. Uh, I, no, I take umbrage with that, but uh, we'll go into that, into the actual commentary. Uh, and uh, folks at home, takes. if you if you want to make a traditional graveyard, that drink is one ounce of the following. Vodka, gin, triple sec, whiskey, scotch, tequila, just one type of rum. And then a lager stout float. Uh, but I wanted 13 alcohol spirits for 13 ghosts. Get it? Yeah, you, you got it. You got it. It's funny. Uh, so we kind of improvised a little bit. I pulled the original recipe from the tipsybartender.com, which cautioned, and I quote, Obviously, this is one of the strongest drinks ever and should be consumed with the utmost caution. Seriously, drink the graveyard one teaspoon at a time and wait, like, 30 minutes between each sip. That seems, what, that seems a little mush to me. I'm not doing it that way. I've got my mummy mug filled up. I'm going to have like fucking 20 ounces of this booze and uh, we're, we're going to have a rip roaring good time watching 13 ghosts. All right. Are we, are we ready? I think we're ready. Mike, do you want to count us down to start off 13 ghosts? One, two, three. Oh no. What have we done? <laughs> it's 13 ghosts. This feels like this movie should have like a rap song with it. Like a cool, like, it does at the, the end. A song that explains the entire plot of this particular Hell, it doesn't movie. explain the plot, but they cast yeah. a rap act, a rap star just to, for a credit song, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so, folks, it's movie fact time again, your favorite Yay! part. Yay! 13 oh. Ghosts, directed by Steve Beck. Uh, pretty short filmography for Steve. You know him from this film and also Ghost Ship. 
So he had two Dark Castle pictures. Uh, Honestly, after which, those two, you can fun. rest on your loyals. Right? Yeah, you're good. Uh, fuck, I feel bad talking over this because I really love this introduction. This is like the best part of the entire movie, honestly. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, our screenplay is by Neil Marshall Stevens and Richard uh, Dovidio. Our cast, we've got Tony Shalhoub as Arthur Criticos. I have to mention this every time I see him in a film. He's from Wisconsin. It's exciting. Woo-hoo! Tony Shalhoub from Green Bay, Wisconsin. One of us. Google gobble. Big uh, monk. <laughs> one of my favorite actors, Matthew Lillard, as uh, Dennis Rafkin. You know him. He's Shaggy. He's Stu. He's great. Uh, we have Shannon Elizabeth as Kathy Criticos. I thought going in, this was like one of her first movies, but by this point in her career, she'd already been in two American Pie movies, plus Scary Movie and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. So Jack Frost. Also that, yeah. Also, we have F. Murray Abraham as Cyrus Criticos to give the movie some panache. Just uh, eating the scenery like a that pussy Jamie came out of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our music is by John Frizzell. Uh, he's probably most well-known for his collaborations with Mike Judge. So he did Beavis and Butthead to America, King of the Hill, Office Space. He's got oh. a ton of horror credits, though, including two different Texas Chainsaw Master films, uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D and Leatherface. Now, totally different continuities. <laughs> Plus, Ghost Ship, Alien Resurrection, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, and Stay Alive. Uh, our editing here is by Derek G. Brecken. We've mentioned him before. He did Doom, Deep Blue Sea, and The Patriot, uh, amongst many others. Uh, <laughs> also, I just want to say, Ghostmobile! No, 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 no. Uh, our other editor is Edward A. Uh, Roshilka. We've also mentioned him because he was the editor of Child's Play 3. Uh, we have commentary track for that, folks. Self-promotion. <laughs> he also did The Running Man, Big Trouble in Little China, In the Mouth of Madness, Vampires, Escape from L.A., all sorts of John Carpenter flicks. See, I don't feel like the editor did much on this other than just have to listen to the, the director scream at him for more flash cuts. <laughs> <laughs> the movie had a style. Leave it alone, Mike. Uh, the film came out October 26, 2001. Budget was $42 million, which is actually kind of on the higher end for the Dark Castle Entertainment flicks, but we'll get into that later. Our worldwide box office, $68.5 million. So successful, but, you know, didn't didn't amaze the world. And obviously, this is a very, very loose remake of William Castle's 1960 film, 13 Ghosts. There you have it. Movie facts. Now, let's actually talk about what's happening on screen, because this opening scene is a lot of fun. You, forgot I absolutely... to, you did forget to talk about the uh, set designer. That's true. I probably should have thrown a lot of credit their way, because... Man, the idea behind Dark Castle Entertainment was they, they kind of wanted to emulate William Castle flicks that are just set in one interesting location. So in this version, we have a giant glass house, as insane as that is. And before we get there, we actually had the sidebar where they're in this kind of nightmare on Elm Street fucking <laughs> uh, car lot. I love this thing. Ah. Oh. Just look at that. Cars hang for no reason up in the air. Cubes everywhere. Beautiful. So can we just take a moment to appreciate F. Murray Abraham and his Dracula cape? (laughs) Swirling around him. (laughs) How nonplussed he is by this whole thing. Uh, Ghosts. This this was such a cool period for 
having F. Murray Abraham pop up for five minutes and things because he was just starting to slum it. Like, he hadn't gone full Sci-Fi Channel Presents Blood Monkey yet. I mean, he's not even really in that much in the movie either, so he gets to show up, act for, like, three scenes, and then cash his checks. It's really a good deal. I'm sure he got to keep the cane. So, uh, the actor who just popped up, Damon, actually has a couple of interviews on the Scream Factory Collector's Edition of this film. He's got some pretty fun stories about, I mean, this is his one scene, but he's got some pretty good stories about this. So, the, the actor's name also is Matthew. He met Matthew Lillard, like, when they're about to record this. Matthew Lillard comes up, introduces, just says, hey, are you so-and-so? Good to meet you. Good luck out there. And then Matthew Lillard goes off to the side and psychs himself up for the scene. <laughs> so he's just yelling at himself, don't screw this up, Matthew! Don't fuck this up, Matthew! And he's just, like, jumping up and down. The other actor, again, whose name is Matthew, is thinking that Matthew Lillard is just screaming at him to not fuck up the scene. <laughs> because he didn't realize this was Matthew Lillard. <laughs> so it's only after, like, they introduce each other again later, they realize, like, oh, cool, that guy's not insane and angry at me for no reason. What an amazing mind game that would have been on Lillard's <laughs> part, though. Hey, good to meet you. Don't fuck this up! I love uh, Lillard psyching himself up for this. The Blood Mobile. I mean, yeah, Lillard so has to be at... Uh, you have to give it up to Matthew Lillard for being able to maintain a consistent level of energy throughout this movie because he's end of Scream stew the entire runtime. It's exhausting. It's like, God, no wonder he's in such good shape. <laughs> I love that he's... And the character is a lot of fun, too, because he's high energy, but he's also really negative high energy. You normally don't get that. Normally high energy people in, in film are also portrayed as like, Woo, come on, let's do this fun, yeah! This guy hates being here and just happens to be very energetic. Honestly, uh, he, he, why isn't he the main character? I think he knows all of the plot stuff. He pushes everything forward. He has actual stuff going on. Uh, it was hilarious watching the trailer to this for the first time since it came out uh, earlier today and seeing how much they try to hide the fact that Tony Shalhoub is the main character. <laughs> like that, that trailer is so loving to Matthew Lillard. It treats him like he's Blade and he's here to take down these ghosts. Even hearing interviews with uh, Steve Beck talking about like Arthur's role in this movie, <laughs> his whole thing is like, yeah, he's, he's really fucked up because his wife is dead and he's trying to be protective of his kids. And in the end of the movie, his arc is, uh, he decides he just can't live without them. So he willingly kind of like throws his life away to join them in the circle. Which is such a weird character arc. Like, ah, fuck it. Might as well die. My kids are in danger. <laughs> but apparently that's what he needed. To back up, I love that gag of the guy just being ripped in half. Oh, and, like, awesome. folded it's like awesome. He's eaten by the car. Yes. And our first sighting of the ghost, the breaker. Oh, he smashes a man with a car. Fucking phenomenal. God, I would love to it see is, a whole horror movie funny just looking set back in this that, location. That oh, yeah. the, this opening, like, treats the juggernaut like, no, this is the main villain of the movie. But then everyone gravitated towards the jackal. Right. Well, throughout the movie, too, they talk like, he's the most dangerous ghost. But visually, he's not as interesting as the guy who's got his head inside of, like, a cage. Yeah. Uh, the ghost of Tom Waits in... Uh, <laughs> Coppola's Dracula. 
I have to say, I do admire the balls of... Anyway, here's this person dying. <laughs> we'll get back to the glasses in a bit, but uh, if you've never seen the original William Castle version of 13 Ghosts, Castle always had a gimmick for his films. And in 13 Ghosts, the gimmick was he gave you a pair of specters to see, or spectacles to see specters. So one frame in the glasses were red, and they would bring out ghosts, and the other half was blue. And when the screen changed colors, you're supposed to put your glasses on so you could either see or block the ghosts out, depending on how scared you were. This version of the movie pays homage to that by having the special kind of high-tech glasses that the characters have to wear if they want to see the ghosts. Now, uh, th there is a very important distinction to make there, uh, I feel, which is uh, in this intro, Castle say says that the red is for if you believe in ghosts. That's true. The blue is if you do not believe in ghosts, which implies that at least one person watched that movie and refused to see any ghosts because he was a man <laughs> of science. Uh, so on the home release of the film, the effect still works. I, I just rewatched the movie recently, and I used a pair of 3D glasses from uh, Friday the 13th Part 3D, the old Blu-ray release of that that came with glasses. Mm -hmm. And I just had to close one eye because one eye is red, one's blue. So I just covered the blue eye. And you can actually see the ghost effects. If you do not have the red glasses, it's almost impossible to be able to see the ghosts on that film. Made a huge difference. A lot more fun that way. You know, I do want to say, I really like how... Um economical this opening is it, it's weird from this director to <sighs> suddenly get something like randomly artsy i mean it's a little bit over the top with some of like the 911 call stuff but it does a pretty good job on a technical aspect too i love this so they actually yeah. had the camera motorized like they're doing a stop motion film and it would play through the apartment and then they'd redress it reset the camera and then it could go film it again and this time, you know, it would show a little bit more weather damage, more fire damage. And you could keep going through until you had the end effect. Then you just kind of overlay those shots together with fades and, and change out how the film looks while it's still controlling itself. Like, still going through that pan. I think it's really neat. It's, it's very simple. No CGI required. Plus, like Mike said, it does really tell you the entire story in about a 30-second shot. And then it's immediately ruined by, but you still pay for a maid. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. That, yeah. I don't that has confused me for so long. Like she, they did, they could have at least made her a housekeeper, but no, she is specific, or not a housekeeper, but a, like a nanny for the kids. But no, she is specifically a maid for that crap shack. <laughs> I always just assumed that that was kind of a throwback to the original 13 ghosts. Uh, because in that film, the house just comes with a maid who happens to be uh, the the witch from The Wizard of Oz. What is her name? Uh, the, is it Margaret Hamilton? Was she the yes. Wicked Witch? Okay. Yeah. Oh, like, it's a bit of stunt casting. That. Yeah, well, she pops up like towards the end of the movie because everyone like the whole time is like, oh, the, the maid is such a witch. And then, sure enough, she walks out and everyone's like, oh, fuck, it is a witch. Okay. That makes that, that movie slightly entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> As God, there's a lot you can uh, you you can josh thirteen ghosts about, but I think we can all agree it is at least 
a significantly better movie than the one it's remaking. <laughs> oh, much. Thir- the 13 Ghosts remake fascinates me. Like, we all uh, love it fucking uh. dearly. Like, this is just endlessly the best. But it's amazing from when you just, like, look at the movie. How a movie is so endlessly and effortlessly watchable and fun while also being unwatchably bad. Like, its problems are unwatchable in in just how dumb they are. Like, it's it's incredible to me. It's like they got all the best people. And then, no offense to, to Beck, I'm sure he's a lovely person, and then hired probably the worst person to actually put it all together. Even though he yeah. came up with pretty much all the like ghost backstory shit that created the short yeah. film on the on the Blu-ray, but it's like, wow, this is a lot of like special effects people and and set designers and and yeah. actors doing like incredible work, but it's there's no brain at all. <laughs> I mean, uh, Beck's background, really, he, he started off as a visual effects art director on a lot of big pictures. And I think he brings those skills to the table. <laughs> you know, the movie is really cool to watch. Like, it's it's if you turned off the volume and just kind of watched it, you'd be drawn in. Uh, story-wise, sure. I don't, I don't think there's anything to really write home about. But I also think the intent was to make a roller coaster of a film. They're not even trying to pretend this is heavy on artistic merits. They're just trying to entertain you for 90 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't really, I don't have uh, the problems with the screenplay or the characters uh, of this film that a lot of people have. I think the script is exactly what it's trying to be—a a glorified haunted house ride. But uh, I feel like Thirteen Ghosts and you know, its sister movie, Ghost Ship, the only two movies in the world that have that exact tone. I fucking. <laughs> I feel like they're perfect examples of good movies made by bad directors. Yeah. Which 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 is something people don't talk about a lot. Everyone will harp endlessly on like whenever good directors go bad. I don't feel like there's enough talk about how every single thing can go right with a movie including the selection of people the director is surrounding himself with, and even the ideas the director has. But the guy just bungles the execution. Well, this one is interesting, too, because it was a Joel Silver production. Like, one of the biggest producers Hollywood's ever seen, right? And according to Steve Beck, Silver had recently come off the first Matrix movie when they started production of this film. And Silver was just exhausted from being really hands-on in that film because it's so big and there's so many special effects. So when they started this film up, Silver was basically like, whatever, if it works, it works. Don't bother me. Which gave him a little bit more freedom to make the movie the way he wanted. Uh, And, you know, who knows how this would be different if it had a heavy hand from a producer watching over the whole thing who really wanted his way on, on changes. I think we're kind of lucky to get this weirdo movie the way it is, just kind of unsupervised. Oh, yeah. Now, it's the thing that drives me crazy with Beck's films. They are so unique and have such a specific tone. I, I don't know if they would 
be movies we'd look back fondly on if a much more skilled director were attached to them. I I think, especially 13 Ghosts, it has that same quality that a lot of great 80s schlock has, where if it were more of a traditionally good movie, it would probably not be anywhere near as memorable, even if it was a really good horror movie. Kind of the uh, sci-fi channel original syndrome? Yeah, a bit. There's something so deeply endearing with how... Like, 13 Ghosts is the horror movie equivalent of a big dumb dog that rushes out (laughs) the door to lick your face whenever you come home. Like, 13 Ghosts is very endearing in its early 2000s dopiness. I mean, I love the film because it really sets the tone in my mind for 2000s horror. Yeah. Like if you, oh, if you absolutely. Take, Even more so than House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. I, well, I think in particular, if you just look at Dark Castle movies, like all the stuff they made in the early 2000s, if you lay that next to like Platinum Dunes remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have the basis for what I imagine the entire decade is. Like, I think 2000s horror, I think some sort of amalgamation of those styles of films. That and uh, maybe Verbinski's Ring remake. Yeah. The funny part to me, though, is this film wasn't all that successful. Like, we covered it already. The The box office was good. Like, $68 million worldwide on a budget of 40 some million. So, you know, it made a little over its production budget. But... Honestly, for Dark Castle, their their big moneymaker was uh, Gothica, just like a short amount of time later. And for some reason, people never think of Gothica. Gothica doesn't seem like it defined the whole zeitgeist the same way that House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts did. I don't know if it's just because 13 Ghosts got replayed endlessly on Sci-Fi Channel, and Gothica did not. This was like a TNT favorite. Oh, yeah. I, I see a lot more reappraisal for Gothica now. Like, it seems to be uh, finding its audience, but yeah, Gothica just got, re- like, put on the, the scrap heap of history for the which longest is, time, which is weird considering so the weird. cast that movie has. Yeah, okay, so Gothica came out two years after this film. Uh, they had Ghost Ship in between. Its budget was $40 million. It made $142 million worldwide. Like, Gothica cleaned house. None of the other Dark Castle movies even approached that level of success. And yet, that's the one people kind of forget about. They always remember House of Wax or Ghost Ship. Oh, God, you know what I just realized? You know what song Gothica ends with? Um, the Limp Biscuit I... cover of Behind Blue Eyes? Why couldn't that oh, have ended 13 oh. Ghosts? That would Jamie, have been perfect. I... Jamie, I literally watched Gothica two days ago, and I already blocked that out of my mind, and now you put it back. <laughs> I would say Gothica kind of like went out just because that it's only really now that people are back on like, oh, cool. Holly Berry's in something. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like every couple of years she gets something big. Uh, A few years back, she was in John Wick 3 and everyone was very excited. Uh, She had that one thriller. Was it like cellular or something like that? Where, you know, the call, the call. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty successful. So every once in a while, she pops up and everyone's excited. So, uh, going, going back to what you were saying about the uh, 
the love that was fostered with this movie with like uh, repeats on TNT and Sci-Fi Channel. I I love watching discarded movies become cult classics in real time. Like I've seen that happen with Dead Silence over the past couple of years where a lot of people who saw that movie on cable when they were like 11 like kind of were young enough to overlook the flaws that made people discard it at the time and they fucking love that movie. I kind of feel like 13 Ghosts was definitely one of those. This is such an awesome horror movie for a 12-year-old. See, I I couldn't see this one in theaters. Like, I just wasn't allowed. My parents wouldn't let me go into, like, R-rated movies. So this is a a weird case for me where I just downloaded the script for the film and I read it one night. (laughs) (laughs) You put on your reading glasses and sat down by the fire. Uh, that was it. I saw the trailer for 13 Ghosts. I'm like, this looks amazing. Like, my friends went to go see it because their parents didn't give a shit if they saw R-rated stuff. And I was like, ah. It's so I, I just... You puffed on I, your I, pipe. I, you were like, I don't know about this breaker fellow. Ooh. <laughs> watch out, Tony Shalhoub. So I read the script, and it, it still cracks me up because I just remember how big a point the script puts on Tony Shalhoub at the end, like, internally. Wait, I'm a math teacher. We see Tony Shalhoub start counting. <laughs> as he goes through the ghosts like there's only 12 ghosts <laughs> it's realized, a realization has been bamboozled it's always a sign of a good screenplay when the screenplay stops to give the character an internal monologue that's not in the actual movie <laughs> so yeah it was it was very funny as a child reading that and i'm like he's a math teacher and he's just figuring this out i've been counting the ghosts the whole time motherfucker so wait, so they even do the fucking repeats of the of the exposition in the script? I just think that was an editing thing. Like the, we're calling ways back now, but in my memory, yeah, they actually like they stop and Tony Shalhoub like realizes that Cyrus is lying to him because he goes back and he counts all the ghosts on his fingers one by one and realizes they're short one, and that since there's no thirteenth ghost, that uh, he's trying to make him the thirteenth ghost. It's very silly. I I, want to say, though, I think, if I remember right, the script I read was pretty close to what you see in front of you now. So I I don't think there was a ton of improvisation. I don't think there was a lot of last-minute crazy re-editing to put plot points together. I I think they basically had a script and they ran with it. Uh, Mike. Pop quiz, name the ghosts. Oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> if we wait too long, they're going to say them for you, so you gotta, you got to hit it now. Uh, let's see. The Juggernaut, the Bloody Princess, um, the Jackal, uh, the Baby, and freaking forget the mother's name. Um, the Something so, Prince, I forget. It's it's the Great Child and the Dire Mother. Ah, that's it. Um See, it's ruined for me because of the fucking trick-or-treat commentary. It seems the baby <laughs> yep. now. Um, God, this is like the smarmiest lawyer in the world. It's perfect. <laughs> he has strong Dividoff energy. Look at those <laughs> eyes. Those eyes look like contacts. They're not real. Uh, I also think he's a throwback to the original... 13 Ghosts. In that movie, there's a friendly lawyer who is uh, helping the family 
take over the estate and he's trying to kind of encourage them to leave because it turns out the uncle has hidden money in the house at his suggestion before the uncle died. And so the lawyer is trying to scare the family away so he can go through the house and find the uncle's money. So in all versions of this movie, the lawyer is a dick. It's in the stairwell. The money's in the stairwell. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Spoilers. So I, 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 I feel like, uh, Hannah Barbera owes a lot to the films of Howard Castle. I'm sorry, now I'm just imagining Scooby-Doo in this house. <laughs> That's a process we all need to see. I'm really mad at myself for having just rewatched this, and I've already forgotten the name of Mostly Ghosts. <laughs> so it's uh, The Firstborn Son, The Torso, The Bound Woman, The Withered Lover, The Torn Prince, The Angry Princess, The Pilgrimess, which doesn't seem fair because she's like barely in the movie, The Great Child, The Dire Mother, The Hammer, The Jackal, The Juggernaut. And then Arthur is supposed to be the final ghost. Which do they ever say like what's his cool title? Does he get like yeah? A, they, they they do. He he is uh, I believe the torn heart. No, the uh, broken uh, heart or something. Uh, yeah. that line. The withered cuckold. <laughs> Mom. Also, I I feel like it doesn't count if you can't remember the ghosts that don't do anything. Yeah, the torso literally, literally just shows up like for one shot essentially. Yeah, which is weird because I always assumed it was a puppet. It turns out they actually hired a guy. Who, like, didn't have legs, and they had him do the torso. They didn't have legs, and have a head. It was weird. <laughs> it's, it's just, they dug up a body. You know, the editing style of this movie really makes sense if Lillard was the main character. The yeah. just flashes of intuition? Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it is kind of edited from his point of view. God, this dude is so Wishmaster. His teeth, his, his fake-ass it's, it's teeth. He's either Dividoff or the fucking, um... Lawyer demon from Counter Reeves' Constantine movie. Uh, <laughs> fire, I was born with it. <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah. Oh no, so in, old. Uh, we're in a, a very early stage of CGI at this point. Again, this is 2001. So it's fascinating to look in the backgrounds and you see like CGI doors and, and gears and that kind of stuff. But the ghosts are by and large entirely practical creations. It's just yep. really good makeup. It's prosthetics and, and just latex masks and stuff. This was about the end Damn of the era. Cause shortly after this, you know, we, we realized, oh, okay, we can, we can start making the rock into a CGI scorpion. We don't need to bother keeping a person in a chair for 14 hours as we apply plastics to them. But it's a shame because, boy, is it cool. I absolutely love the look and design of every ghost in this movie. Was this one of the last times Kane B got, like, a fuck ton of money? Yeah. <laughs> Until, like, Walking Dead, essentially? Mm hmm Also funny to me, this movie, I mean, $40 million or whatever his budget was, pretty, pretty decent. But the whole idea of Dark Castle Entertainment was they wanted to make movies of a responsible budget. You know, you're not going to make an R-rated movie that's got, like, a $60 million budget. You don't want to make one that's, like, $5,000, because then no one will see it. It's too cheap. So they're trying to hit a sweet middle ground, you know, $20, $30 million pictures, where they still have enough money to make those kind of ghosts that we just saw possible and really effective and realistic. 
it's a business plan. I really enjoy it. I wish we had more mid-range movies, but everything right now feels like it's either micro-budget or a $250 million giant pop. Very little medium-sized in-between movies. Also, going back to the ghosts for a second, one of the... uh my favorite aspects of the way they're shot is the, um, the water reflection effects on them. I, I've never seen that in regards to ghosts before. And that's really unique to this movie. And I, I, I love that it, it gets across that you're looking at them through glasses, but also just gives like the netherworld a very unique, u- unique aesthetic. The ghosts here are really cool. Like they, they kind of seem like they're floating. Like they kind of put a power fan in front of them. <sighs> But it's not like different directors have different distinct styles of ghosts and they kind of catch on in different ways. Like for a while we had the ghosts from the others, which are essentially just people, maybe a little bit more pale because you're trying to blur that line of are they living or dead? Same with the Sixth Sense. Um, then you had the Devil's Backbone style ghosts that Guillermo del Toro really popularized where they're otherworldly white. They're kind of transparent and they've got like fluids leaking out of them against gravity. Like they're they're kind of like vapors almost with human form. I like the version of ghosts we get here where they feel like nope, that's clearly a person standing in front of them. They're just totally invisible sometimes if you don't have the glasses on. Also, all the wounds they incurred when they died are kind of exaggerated cartoonishly in their ghostly form. I like the character style of ghosts that we get in this film because the whole movie is a roller coaster ride. They're, they don't need to be subtle. So do we uh, do we pass the goats line already? Oh no, that comes later. Also, hey, <laughs> Jamie's Spawn only showing here for up that. for five seconds. I just like pointing out the one of like two James Gunn lines that actually made it into this movie. <laughs> See, I, I like how I was watching the I was watching the trailer earlier today. That was the top comment was that that was the greatest exchange in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> Also, is Shannon Elizabeth's character just fucking high throughout this entire movie? I'm just so confused by her character. Yeah, I remember whenever we were uh, uh, watching this at your place, my girlfriend, like, sitting down after getting a drink, just staring at the screen during that sequence and going, so she took, like, an edible on the way over, right? (laughs) Real ninety kids get through their house this way. Also, we're we're in the we're in the glass house now, so it's it's good to to talk about maybe one of the greatest sets ever built. But also, was this set made of nothing but windows difficult to film in? Yes, nearly impossible. The only reason there's writing on all the walls is so people wouldn't bump into them and kill themselves. <laughs> oh God. They really stressed the tidbit in the making of features that if you weren't in front of the camera, you were supposed to be wearing like all black clothing and try and minimize reflections in any way possible. Because that was, they would spend like half hour at a time trying to figure out where the fuck a reflection was coming from. It'd be like five rooms over, just bounce between different panels of glass. Even uh, apparently it was tough to make the sets because glass is super heavy. Most sets are just made of like plywood dressed up. Because these were all, like, panes of glass, they had to use steel to reinforce the sets so they didn't, like, break down and crash through the floor. Yeah, this is essentially a fucking skyscraper they built. (laughs) Just house-sized. 
I mean, wildly impractical, too. Who the fuck in the world would ever want a house made out of glass in any capacity? Like, no part of that seems fun. Uh, the the family that Lele Sobieski ends up with in the 2000s thriller The Glass House. Glad your mind goes there, too. There's a reason this is, like, <laughs> the fucking uh, set designers, like, the one person who's gone on to have this amazing career. Besides Greg Nicotero. He already had an amazing career. <laughs> that Yeah, it just kind of kept rolling on. It is a really cool design. I have to give him that. Like, I love the idea that there's just spells written into the house to keep the ghosts in place. It's such a cool fucking concept. The co- like, look. The house is like amazing. I said, I- it's like Harry Potter. It can just move around whenever it wants, and you just can't know where you're going. It's a glass labyrinth. I said I I love this movie, but it is like man, this is a great fucking concept and setup, and it's on and it's for this movie. <laughs> it's like uh, can, can we get another remake that takes the idea of this, but then just puts effort into the script or something? Uh, oh, uh, so God, to interrupt I, that shot there, we just saw of, uh, the insert of him pushing the secret button to open the doors. Uh, a direct homage to the original film, where there is a secret button that activates a deathbed. If you push this button, the bed lowers down and can crush a man inside of it, which is how the lawyer dies in the original film. He pushes the button to kill the child character, the the little boy. He gets attacked by the uncle ghost. The man panics and then jumps into the bed as it's crushing him, and he dies. I like how it's specifically this one subplot where they pay homage to the original. They took with Chang Shaggy. I have to say, too, as a child, I was once traumatized by trying to escape a hall of mirrors, so I really understand the appeal of just making <laughs> a house right. like this for something terrifying. Uh, man. So, back in the day, the idea was Dark Castle wanted to put out a movie every Halloween. They wanted to do Saw before Saw was around. Every every Halloween, they would just have a new Dark Castle Entertainment flick out in theaters. And unfortunately, there there was, I, I believe it was a writer's strike going kind of on between films, like for Ghost Ship or something, that pushed that one back out of its original slot. And then they were just never able to reclaim the October period the way they wanted. Which is too bad. Just imagine that universe where instead of getting like six Saw movies in a row every October and just dominating the landscape, it was a film like this. We had like some sort of weird William Castle spin-off each October. Like there's Shivers in 2003. Or not Shivers, fuck. Um, the Tingler in 2003. I would give anything for a 2000s version of The Tingler. Wouldn't that be cool? Hold on. Also, what a great gag. Fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> so they had a puppet of this guy cut in half. And he's actually sliding down. And then they digitally map the actor's face to the puppet. Which is really impressive for digital mapping in 2001. Like, that looks like they actually had a very realistic puppet. Not some sort of digital projection. Yeah, I always assume that was just, like, way ahead of its time CGI. Like, that was the one thing they spent the CGI budget on. <laughs> you can You can tell if you look at the mouth, because it doesn't quite move like a normal mouth. You know, it just kind of wobbles side to side. But, like, the eyes look so real. So, you forgive it. Honestly, I think that's such a cool effect. And the fact they didn't have to cut it down. I know this is an R-rated flick. That's very gory. And they hang on the, like, the guy's innards just sliding down the wall. They really let him get away with that. 
So uh, we're we're a bit away from it, but seeing uh, the torn prince uh, in front of his uh, busted up car and what I can only assume is some kind of greaser chamber <laughs> made me think. So all of the monsters being kept in the transparent glass cubes at the end of Cabin in the Woods is totally a reference to this, right? I feel like it's got to be. Like they must have taken that idea partially from here, right? I feel like it's that, or it's a really deep-cut reference to the Cenobites uh, being in glass cubes in the original script for uh, Hellraiser. Nobody needs more hardcore pornography. <laughs> so the CGI of this of these gears actually weirdly holds up. Somewhere, Guillermo del Toro is just shouting enjoy watching this. <laughs> this is like del Toro's I... house. <laughs> Welcome to Bleak House 2. Uh, one thing I miss about uh, the aesthetic of the 2000s was the inexplicable obsession with gyroscopes. Like, if you did a sci-fi horror movie, or even like a, just a straight sci-fi movie, you had to have a giant gyroscopic machine with gears spinning everywhere. That was That was the entire design for the time machine in that remake. I'm pretty sure that's like Rasputin's machine at the start of Hellboy 2. It's just yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Right. that was the ultimate one. Honestly, Hellboy 1 was what, 2004? That's only a couple years after this. Yeah. Hellboy 1 has a strong early 2000s aesthetic. It does. It's kind of I don't say that about. in a bad way whatsoever. I love, no, no. I love Hellboy. There's nothing wrong with the fucking early 2000s aesthetic. It's just whenever the movies were bad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, in my mind, too, I grew up with these as, like, when I was really getting into horror. So this is the kind of horror film I really want, where it's kind of doofy, more fun. There's still disturbing macabre elements to it, but it's more like a, you could imagine it being a really fun carnival ride more so than anything else. Here's my here's my problem with, I mean, I, I get it. We were all, you know, a lot of us were snobbish in, like, the 2000s for horror, and there was a lot of reasons to be snobbish for a lot of what happened to horror in the, you know, early and mid two thousands. You know, we, we got all the J horror remakes, the PG 13 stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, essentially ripoffs of this, which is an interesting rabbit hole to have for Hollywood to have gone down. But when people, I'm glad they're being reappraised now as, kind of the schlocky ridiculousness that they were because it's it doesn't make much sense to be snobbish towards them but we all fucking love 80s schlock it's like it's it's just the 2000s version of that we're just <laughs> conscious and not in a womb while the others while these <laughs> were being made essentially one thing that throws me though is everyone talks about oh the 80s the golden age of horror and it's like eh 80s just, we, we, we got spoiled because there were a thousand low-budget slasher films, like, one after another. Not necessarily good movies, but there were just so many of them. And then everyone talks about the 90s being a wasteland for horror, which doesn't truly seem fair, the more I think no. about that concept. Because, no. like, what, we had Candyman during that period, we had fucking The Silence of the Lambs winning the Oscar. I, I would consider The Silence of the Lambs horror. I know some people are opposed to that. 
I, I but, would definitely throw it in. You had Scream in 96, and from that point on, there was a new slasher boom that was, you know, more self-aware and meta. There were, there were a couple of years where it was kind of light, and I think people were just bitter because it was the wind-down of the classic slasher. You know, you're getting the latter-day Friday the 13s and Nightmare on Elm Streets that people just don't like as much. Yeah, the 90s is just, like, kind of a waiting room for horror. Rather than it is a decline, it's just a transition period where uh, you're just kind of getting movies that aren't quite what you remember and aren't quite what the genre was going to become. So a lot of so a lot of those entries just don't really sit well on your tongue. It wasn't a volume. Is 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 there wasn't as much volume? I think either was the real big problem. Like, even uh, yeah. now, the 2000s, oh, yeah. we get a pretty good number of horror films coming out constantly just because people can make low-budget films and release them on demand. So there, there's a market for them. I mean, we're in a Whereas true, in the like... 90s, it was a lot harder. It was harder to make an indie film like this and get it distributed. It oh, yeah. was and just indie, starting to boom yeah. later in the 90s. And indie films didn't go for horror back then. They they weren't for more comedies or slice-of-life stuff. Like, that was a whole different kind of renaissance. 80s, you know, 80s was the mecca of horror because... About a thousand to two thousand movies came out a fucking year, and yeah, there was like a big certain aesthetic to them that that made them perfect. And but when you're making so many, when so much is coming out, both from a studio perspective, you have directive VHS, you just have people, fans of horror, who've now reached the age where they're being able to make stuff, where you get like Sam Raimi's and whatnot. When you just have so much, yeah, you're going to get a lot of classics because how the fuck would you not when there's that much in the pool at, at all times? When in the '90s there wasn't a lot, but there was a lot more quality. There was plenty. There was still plenty of like schlocky shit coming out, and, and I think there's a lot of more rediscovery now of '90s horror. I'm glad Creator VC is going to do that '90s horror documentary. And really highlight some of the shit because why aren't we talking more about like Wishmaster or Sandstalker or shit like that? Yeah. It's fucking circuitry man like a motherfucker. <laughs> I enjoy how we, we've somehow gone into a great discussion about every decade of horror except for <laughs> <laughs> except for the, the the one this one belongs to. Well, you know, I mean, there, there's a bleed in period. So this is 2001. Yeah. This is really like this is the turning point of 90s horror into this is millennial horror. Yeah, this is 2000s horror finding itself. Like, this is the birth of it. Even more so than, like, House on Haunted Hill, which still has, like, this weird 90s aesthetic to it, which is kind of fun. And oddly, way more prevalent CGI. Oh, 13 Ghosts is the horror equivalent of Raimi's first Spider-Man. It's like you can see the decade crossing over during the running time of the film. Because really, up until Dark Castle, the only thing we really had was, well, Scream was popular, do more of that. I I think that's the thing, where that's one of the reasons why it always comes across. Like, the 2000s didn't have a particular aesthetic, or that the 2000s was just a graveyard for horror. It's not that there wasn't a 2000s horror aesthetic, it's just it burned out so quickly. Like, and, like, even, like, the, the 90s stuff burned out so quickly. Like, the Scream era of horror was a couple of years. The Dark Castle era of horror was a couple of years. 
even the J-horror remake boom was like, what, three years of movies? It wasn't super long, but people remember it being like a, a period that never ended. I think the same is also true of the, the torture porn era. It stretched out because people remember Saw is going for, you know, literally like seven years in a row. But but really, we didn't have extreme kind of torture movies during that entire tenure of Saw. We had a couple of years of it, but people realized like, oh, they're not catching on the same way. So they just never had the same grab. Yeah, there were. There were a lot of torture porn movies made in the wake of Saw and Hostile, but the majority of them were just flooding the direct-to-video market because they could be made so cheaply. Like, you got a, a few gore effects you can afford, you've got a movie. And they were kind of already there, honestly. Yeah. I, I, th- I, it, think, it's, I think it just shows um, an interesting societal thing, and not, even, and not in a bad way. It's just... You know, the the 80s aesthetic was from throughout the entire fucking decade. Like, that was a decade of pretty much a singular aesthetic when it came to just pop culture. Uh, same thing pretty much with the 70s, and the, the 60s was a little half and half. You know, it wasn't really till like, mid-60s you get into the 60s aesthetic. But now aesthetics alter a lot quicker. So movie studios still pretty much attempt to ride a ride a wave of aesthetic. But it's only till now I think they understand that the aesthetic does change much quicker than it used to, where you could get 10 years out of a singular style of film. Now it just burns out quicker because people do move on to other things. I, I think it's just pop culture is... Um, a larger cross-section of pop culture is able to be digested um, versus how it used to be back in the day, which is so people would yeah. just stay on the same pop culture pretty much until, you know, they were in their 40s and then they would just stop. <laughs> so... Well, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the like the 1950s with radioactive sci-fi horror. Yeah. You, you would have those movies, but... You didn't have a VCR. You'd be able to catch the movies like as they played in the drive-thrus. It wasn't like you were able to wait for it to come out on disc, watch it, and then immediately watch the sequel back-to-back or anything like that. You had to wait for the drive-thru. So the production pipeline was you know, a lot thicker, more viscous. It took time to get through these things. So you could hold on to trends way longer. But uh, it is interesting what you said before about how Dark Castle's reign really wasn't that long. And it is funny, because if you look back at it, I, 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 for some reason, thought Dark Castle for years was responsible for hundreds of films in the 2000s. You look at it, they had House on Haunted Hill in 1999, 13 Ghosts in 2001, Ghost Ship 2002, Gothica 2003, House of Wax 2005, and then it really tails off. Because the ones after that, people don't remember as much. There's The Reaping, uh, the direct-to-video return to the House on Haunted Hill in 2007. They spun off and did Rock and Rolla in 2008. <laughs> <That> was, uh, <laughs> But then they had, like, The Hills Run Red, which I don't think ever got a theatrical run, or if it was super limited. I think that one got just stuck on a shelf for years, the same way Trick or Treat did. They, yeah, they did not want to release The Hills Run Red. Yeah, and then The, there was, the creepy rape ending probably had to do a lot with that. Probably, probably. Uh, and then there's stuff like Whiteout, Ninja, Assassin, you know, they, they kind of did weird stuff. The Losers, they, they did a lot of films that weren't really horror anymore. Um, they did do Splice, which actually got them more critical 
a plum than probably anything else they've ever done. Oh, I but, forgot they were relate, uh, involved in Splice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think they just picked it up. I, I don't think they actually like put the money down for that one. It kind of just became a distributor, pretty much. Right. Yeah. House of Wax seemed to be the big uh, last hurrah for the idea of what Dark Castle was always supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, you you get horror films from them every once in a while. Uh, they they did Orphan in two thousand nine. Which feels like it should be like a, a late era Hammer film to me for some reason. Uh, then they did uh, the Apparition. Um, they have a split, like they have stuff at the factory, bullet to the head, unknown. So like Liam Neeson kind of stuff, Getaway, uh, Suburbicon. Remember that George oh, Clooney's God. movie. I hold on, this one it actually cracks me up. I haven't checked this out, but it, 2017 Wikipedia lists Suburbicon. Citation needed. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody Nobody release saw it. that? Like, what is the citation on? Like, is it a Dark Castle flick? I feel like you could just watch the credits and know that one. They they don't hide the logo. Um, I was I was fascinated recently because I sat down to watch the movie Seance from Simon Barrett from Your Next, and that's a Dark Castle entertainment picture. I was not expecting the logo when I popped that movie in, so that was really exciting to see they're still cranking stuff out. Yeah, I always forget they didn't go out of business like eight years ago, and like. Or like got bought up by Lionsgate or something. These these have like five years between movies now. Uh, they do have a sequel to Orphan coming out, which is so weird to me. I don't understand how that's going to work. And as you comb through like their Wikipedia page, there's weird stuff where apparently uh, Blumhouse reached out to them at some point and wanted to do a co-production, but they haven't found a project they want to do yet. Thirteen ghosts. Two. Thirteen or ghosts. Four, Fourteen ghosts. No, this time there's actually thirteen ghosts. You know, going back to the movie for a second, this fascinates me. No. You you have the the glasses gimmick of the film so people can see ghosts. So you'd think like that would be used, okay, so that way characters who don't believe in ghosts put them on, then oh, they see ghosts and we just get that out of the way. No, it still takes forever <laughs> for characters to put the glasses on to actually believe there are ghosts. Arthur, the main character, doesn't put on a fucking pair of glasses and believes there is ghosts to like the third act. We we have like forty minutes left in this movie, and I'm pretty sure there's several characters who have not put the glasses on yet. There we go. Oh. Speak of the devil. Oh, it's fascinating to every time I rewatch this movie, I I'm always taken aback by just how much nothing there is for long stretches of time. There's very little that truly happens in the film. Like they split up and walk, this is like the house. Josh the movie. <laughs> It is kind of amazing they didn't think the Jackal was going to be the crowd favorite, but I, I guess know, you can never predict what people are into. Like, a lunatic in a chewed-out straitjacket with a metal basket on their head? Like, visually, that's so cool. How do you not think people are going to flock towards it? Also, hey, this character. Uh, oh, really ass-kicking Beth Davis. Beth Davis is so good, and it's like, why this character? <laughs> Just this walking plot device. That doesn't really make any sense. We need this character here to be a second person who can explain the plot. <laughs> like how Matthew Lillard cautions, like, don't move like the ghosts are fucking T-Rexes. <laughs> Their haunting's based on movement. I'm amazed, too, though, that with all the nostalgia for this film, that we haven't seen a company like Nika pick up the rights to do right? a ghost yeah. line. Like, you don't I have to make all the figures. I would love to pick it up, though. Right. 
it would be very cool to have a Jackal figure or the Juggernaut or the Breaker. Any of those guys would be pretty dope to have as, as action figures, like a six-inch. I want the baby. <laughs> Give me the baby. Now, McFarland would, ap- would absolutely do the baby first. <laughs> and if you get the if they McFarlane gets the rights to him, they can all show up and spawn. Oh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, all the ghosts have kind of fun, although simple backstories. Each one feels like it could have a prequel movie dedicated to them. Like I, uh, the the big baby and the doting mother, they're they're just circus freaks that happen to die in the circus. Like, okay, there's a lot of room for that. That could be an interesting horror movie. The Jackal, definitely an interesting horror movie. The Juggernaut, all these guys. Like, fuck, any one of those in a haunting movie would be amazing, and I would love to watch it more so than a majority of movies I watch. The Juggernaut is basically Candyman. Pretty close, yeah. But bulkier. <laughs> Jacked Candyman. <laughs> if, uh, if no one ever has watched the special feature for uh, kind of like the storybook telling of the origin of all the ghosts, the backstory that was come up for the movie, but isn't actually in the movie. Um, you can find it on YouTube about a thousand times. I recommend it. It's fantastic. It's on the DVD. It's on the, the Scream Factory Blu-ray as well. It's fun to watch, although it does kind of remove the mystery of the thing. It's fun just watching the movie and just having like a torso appear and not knowing what the fuck that's about. Yeah, I have no idea where they'd actually put any of that backstory in the film, but I love that a movie's worth of backstory was written anyway. The 13 Ghosts, in general, randomly had one of the greatest DVD releases of all time. (laughs) It was back in the day when you can just, where no matter what the movie was, the DVD would be fucking jacked. You'd get you get a great box. There'd be just tchotchkes everywhere. It was full of special features. Tons of money went into it. The studio wouldn't care if no one watched the movie. Just they would still go <laughs> out of their way. Oh, you can find romantic comedies that have like an hour long featurette on uh, the cinematographer's love affair with Italy. Six Honestly, commentaries. It's amazing. That was one of my favorite memories as a kid. Just like getting Anchor Bay movies, and then they'd have like three discs. Like, here's four cuts of Army of Darkness. Like, oh, hell yeah, okay, cool. So many European extremes. Uh, Yeah, uh, fucking movie fans coming up to age now will never know the delight of sitting down with a drink and, in my case, most likely a TV dinner, and just pouring through a DVD special features for N evening like just sitting down with the hellboy dvd like it was a date <laughs> just looking Del Toro for was like motherfucker you're not gonna leave this is gonna be six hours of entertainment at the slight like at least one of my that favorite is... memories was watching the entire special features uh disc well the two special features discs on the fellowship of the ring extended editions which i think were 12 hours long altogether. oh yeah it cracks me up now, though, because if you, like, pick up a movie that breaks about having special features, they're always like, over two hours of features! And then an hour and a half of that will be, like, a commentary track. <laughs> if, you get a, if you get a commentary track. Right. 
Uh, I just picked up Escape Room 2 today, Tournament of Champions, and I'm very curious about that because it brags that the special features includes alternate cut of the movie. And from what I've heard, the alternate cut of the movie is basically an entirely different film. It's a completely different movie. Yeah, I'm very fascinated. It seems like I want to... I don't know which one to watch first. Do Do I watch the alternate cut first? Like, was that how the director intended it before it got butchered? Or was that just like, this isn't working, let's fuck it up, let's change it. It seems like the alternate cut sounds more like an appropriate sequel to the first film. So it seems like that's the director's actual version of the movie. There seems to be a story behind that, that picture. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we've just cut through a couple different ghosts here. Um, apparently if you pay close attention, they had two different actors play the hammer. Cause like one guy just left halfway through the production. <sighs> so you <laughs> Uh, the way Beck describes it is there's one guy who kind of pursed his lips more often than the others. So underneath all the makeup, you can still tell it's him by like the way he uses his lips. And we all stare at lips. Also funny to me is in the making of features on, on the disc, Beck talks about how like he doesn't actually care for the, uh, the kid with like the arrow through his head. <laughs> Cause he's like, how's that kid going to kill you? Like what's <laughs> Like it was an interesting idea, and it just doesn't quite fit, but we stuck to it. I thought he was going to say Beck didn't care about the kid in the movie. Which <laughs> There's a kid in this movie? Yeah. Once again, the original... One of the worst movie kids of all time, maybe? That also just, thankfully disappears. Honestly. Yeah, he just kind of wanders off, and they, they're supposed to be rescuing him. Um, but it is a throwback to the original film, which had this weird break. <laughs> <laughs> where the film is theoretically like a kid-friendly comedy about a boy who's in a house full of ghosts. But also the ghosts are are trying to murder the family at different points. The original 13 ghosts cannot decide if it wants to be a G family-friendly movie or like an actual horror film, which it's is weird, weird because it ping-pongs back and forth. And it's it's like they really didn't know what kind of tone they wanted to strike, so it just goes everywhere. It doesn't make a decision, so it ends up being nothing. Pretty much, yeah. Again, weird, though, because William Castle starts that movie out by having a secretary who's just a skeleton. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. peaks early on. Like, that's a, it's an honestly hilarious, wonderful intro. But it, it's so goofy. You're like, how the hell do they try and make the rest of the film in any way serious after that? Like, just make it goofy. That's obviously what Castle wanted. He's the director. Not Castle's best. Although, let's look back at William Castle's career. The guy gave us some kind of camp classics. Even the ones we love are goofy. Like House on Haunted Hill, the original has plenty of goofy moments. You've got fucking Vincent Price marionetting a skeleton to knock a woman into acid. Like, it's goofy. It's fun, but it's goofy. But, fuck, the guy wanted to cap out his career by directing Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) So he clearly had darker intentions like sometimes he wanted to make dark adult films unless his version of rosemary's baby was going to be completely different than than the script we got oh you're not allowed to know if it's a boy or a girl before the end and you have to like walk out with the right cigar (laughs) like oh if if you picked it's a girl on the way in you don't get to leave the theater just imagine, if William Castle were alive now, he would have the best gender reveal party mankind has ever known. <laughs> like, there'd be explosions, a whole town would be leveled, and in the dust it would spell, boy! <laughs> then there's a jury that has to be uh, gathered so they can vote on what gender they think the baby should be. 
long as we're talking about Castle, I absolutely adore his use of gimmicks in film. Because most of the movies he made were, were kind of just throwaway material. Like, they have some merits to them, but they're they're not trying to be high art, which I kind of love. Like, they know their entertainment, and they don't have pretension to them in any level. Oh, Castle is So a they're genius. okay with the gimmicks. They are all about marketing, which is something I think current-day filmmakers are terrified of. Yeah. They all want to be taken as very serious. They think, oh, I'm committing this to celluloid. I'm giving two years, three years, five years of my life to make this thing. It's got to be serious. It's got to be taken seriously. But to the audience, nah, they don't, they don't give a shit how long you worked on something. So you might as well present them something fun. It can be okay. Not everything has to be a serious artwork that could hang in the Louvre, you know? Yeah. And I feel like we've unfortunately gotten away from that. There, there needs to be a little bit more variety in the uh, way we treat some of our horror films. Very, very much so. One of the big reasons I love Malignant so much. Yeah. Like, Malignant clearly knows it's trying to be schlocky in parts and just fun. Which I, I, I think puts it on dead silence level where it's like, thankfully people will have come around on it very quickly. But I can see audiences not quite understanding it because it's so different from most of the horror films we get on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, I, I always said in the episode, Malignant is such a clear love letter to Dark Castle. <laughs> it, it's it's wonderful to know that uh, this era of filmmaking has reached the age where it can retroactively start influencing things now. Like, I think the, the reappraisal of a lot of this stuff today is going to... It's going to lead to some really interesting films further down the line. Like, Jamie, right? I hate to break this to you, but it's it's coming up on like the 20th anniversary of this movie this year. Jesus Christ. Right. So it's, it's had time. Like the people that like this movie have grown up and are now becoming filmmakers or should be filmmakers by now. There's kids who really did come out the pussy talking about 13 ghosts. And mom just wouldn't stop watching on sci-fi channel. It's like when you raise a baby on like Mozart tapes to make him smarter. <laughs> Saying that, I still don't really understand the reappraisal of House of Wax. Honestly, I like House of Wax. I, I'm I, glad I, people, I watched I'm glad it again recently when I got the collector's edition, it. and it's fun. I enjoy it a lot. I'm glad the people who are enjoying it enjoy it, but it still it doesn't work for me. It's got some really great gags. Um, the I, gags I'm, are good. It's weird. I never. I don't know why I enjoy House of Wax films, because that's a whole subgenre. But I, I think I love them all for different reasons. Like Mystery of the Wax Museum, the original Wax Museum 3D, like all of those movies. Anytime there's a murderer whose base of operations is a wax museum, it seems like it should be like old hat at this point because they're all the same story. No, I love all of them. Cody, have you ever seen Wax Mask? I have. I own Wax Mask. Nice. That's one of my favorites think, after Mystery of the I Wax think, Museum. Yeah, I think Severin put out like a collector's edition of that at Wild Oh, they, I think that's did the they? I, I did not know that. I think it's Severin that has that one. Yeah. So I'll have to look into that. So, I don't know what it is about the concept of a murder and facsimiles of people. And it's always a <laughs> horror-themed wax museum. It always is. I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, really enjoy it, even though I think I won't going in. Why are we watching wax work right now? That'd be oh, fun. God. Also, I, will I, say, I will say one thing in defense of Dark Castle's House of Wax. That is an okay horror movie elevated by the single moment where Chad Michael Murray walks up to that grate and casually snips off the top of Alicia Cuthbert's finger. 
That is one of the greatest out of nowhere gore scares in <laughs> any horror movie that gives me the willies like nearly 20 years later. Jamie, I thought you were going to mention the moment. Uh, spoilers for people who haven't seen House of Wax 2005. Uh, the, the moment where the one guy's been waxed, but he's still alive. And like, oh. his friend accidentally peels off half his face trying to help him. <laughs> like the most misguided attempt to be useful ever. And you can just see the eye rolling around in this like petrified body. Oh, God, what a great gag. I love the idea of taking the Vincent Price reveal from the original and making that a horrible kill scene. Oh, man. Isn't House of Wax just really more of a remake of Taurus Trap? Honestly, yes. Pretty close, yeah. Did anybody from Taurus Trap get money for that? <laughs> uh, you're, you're implying anyone who was involved in Taurus Trap is still alive. Like, <laughs> they weren't disposed of six months after that movie. <laughs> uh, like, I feel like Taurus... that would be the right term. Like They throw them out with the mannequins and the set dressing from that film. I, oh. I feel like Taurus Trap should have like the same tagline as snuff filmed in brazil where life is cheap <laughs> like if you told me tourist trap was everyone's last known footage that was in that movie i would believe you the giant baby always is like the most disturbing part to me just him covered in like his own vomit and it's so gross fed. so gross i like it's hard to gross me out watching horror movies i think it's getting easier as i get older but, like, I used to be able to watch horror films and, like, just eat fucking whatever was in my fridge for lunch. It didn't matter. I, I was trying to rewatch this for notes, and, like, the baby came up with the puke all over, and I'm like, oh, I can't eat my stew anymore. Oh. The two times I couldn't finish food while watching a movie was the first time I watched Audition. Makes sense. And that was literally just due to tone. I didn't even get to the fucking <laughs> meal scene yet. <laughs> and the other one was, um, I think I had Chinese food for Antichrist. <laughs> okay okay bad combo um pretty much like 20 minutes enough, in you enough, lose all appetite i was trying to eat chinese food once while i watched the lost boys for like the first time and the maggot oh. scene like got me i was like oh no i can't eat my lo mein i think i've told the story on the podcast but anytime me and my brother are together and we're eating chinese food if one of us um is holding uh a thing of rice the other will inevitably go, you're eating maggots, Michael. Look down and go, oh! And then just continue on like we didn't just have that exchange. <laughs> One of you doesn't just fucking throw his rice around the house. <laughs> We're not gonna waste it. <laughs> Who the fuck eats just plain rice out of the box? Though? You gotta mix that shit. Or oh, sorry we weren't born rich like you, Cody. I'm pretty they sure actual Chinese and Japanese people. Ah, why? Why? You are technically supposed to eat these things separate. I'm not saying I don't mix it together. I I will always mix it together. You got to get to to suck up that sweet, sweet juice. But exactly, juice would be the wrong term in my mind. But yes, I understand where you're coming from. Cody, you have never eaten. You've never eaten just rice by itself. I I, I've done it. I've done it, but I always feel like, man, I I feel like I'm missing. Actually, no. I take that back. Whenever I have just the rice by itself, I drown that motherfucker in teriyaki sauce. I'm not a fan of teriyaki. I like duck sauce. There's something revitalizing about... There's something revitalizing about a bowl of rice for whatever reason. Yeah, it's nice. Steamy. I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, fucking up... My my grandparents are Polish, so maybe that's it. But in my mind, it's like, no, just potato. 
Just a bowl of potato, good. Roll of rice, bad. Bowl of potato. So just like a normal, like, uncooked potato sitting in a bowl and you just use a fork? Uh, unfortunately, if you eat raw potato, that could be, like, I think it's poisonous. Um, but, you know, if it's cooked... It's sure, hard it's to digest. I have eaten raw potato before. And, you know, honestly, it hasn't killed me. But not recommended. I'm sure it's not good for your intestines. Eh, fuck them. Do a lot of things that's bad for my body. Like alcohol ain't good for it either, but here I am. You know oh, what else isn't good for your body? <laughs> this mummy juice I'm drinking? <laughs> I was gonna mummy say 13. juice. I was gonna say 13 ghosts, but now I just want to talk about the drink, because I forgot about that. Are you regretting the bitters, Cody? Honestly, no. This is a surprisingly good drink. <laughs> So the instructions I gave, like, I didn't go into all the alcohols I use. I, I cheesed it a little bit. And I found, like, the gin I put in is a, uh, um, it's like a pink gin, but it's it's blackberry and rosé flavored. So it's a little fruity. And then the, the uh, creme de cacao gives it a little bit of chocolatey, and the stout goes with that really well. And... Just I, I found a, a cherry rum I threw in there, so there's that little bit of cherry. It's very alcoholic, but the fruit notes actually make it like, ooh, this is this is kind of good. I could see myself drinking this again. Uh, I don't know if it needs all thirteen goddamn liquors put into it, but <laughs> um, yeah, I honestly thought this was gonna be shit. I thought I was just gonna be just vomiting the rest of the night. Like I thought I should get a bowl next to me as I recorded in case I had to gag. But this is good. I think this just shows I don't know jack shit about anything. Because my if hundred I would have bet money on this being garbage. Once again, that's just the perfect summation of watching 13 Ghosts. This is good. <laughs> on paper, no. <laughs> we 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 move past one of my favorite parts is when Lillard turns to Arthur and it's just like you one more time, me and you. Have you guys gone on adventures we haven't seen in like the last 20 minutes? <laughs> I like all of their interactions. There's a part earlier where Arthur's like, save my son! And for some reason, Lillard just goes, fucking Jesus Christ. Like, he's just exasperating. He's like, get out of my way. But he does it, but he's just like annoyed that he has to go save a child. I don't speak Latin. <laughs> That's what I love. He's, he's just as energetic as Stu. But he's playing a guy who's just pissed off to be there, just negative, cynical, high energy. It's a rare combo. You don't get that very often in characters. I call that pulling a Paxton. And he's also, just so high strung because, I mean, it's all because of, I mean, I guess the idea is because of his. Uh, yeah, his life sucks for this character. Yeah, like, like life sucks. You can't touch anyone, he's constant his psychic abilities, which is why it is like. He's a fucking X Men character. <laughs> he's on 100% X-Men character and when he dies and he, you see him as a ghost he's very like calm and serene and at peace it's he's kind too of cool great for yeah he's the happiest ghost he's like the, he's fucking the, the origin of old Casper now you could say he's the 13th <laughs> ghost but he doesn't factor into anything at all so really he just happens to be a ghost who's there in a house that yeah it's like a ghosts. 12 plus 1 12 and adjacent ghosts we all know the lawyer was the 13th ghost all along <laughs> that guy went straight to hell yeah, where the fuck did the lawyer go after he died? Why didn't that he'd ghost never, show up? Uh, Why would you cast a dude who looks like Dividoff not have him show up? <laughs> so one thing I want to go back to for just a second, as long as we're talking about how great Matthew Lillard, Lillard, Matthew Lillard is in this role. 
it blows my mind. Okay, this is 2001 this movie came out. He had made Scream in 2000, uh, not 2006, 1996. So this is only a handful of years later where he's gone from playing a high school teenager <laughs> murder to a guy who's just tired of this whole world, just worn out and beat down. <laughs> There's like a four-year difference in his real life between being a high schooler and being like this burnout medium psychic. And only a few years uh, re- more removed from being a hacker. Right? <laughs> God, and then and only I, a li- few years later, he'd be without a paddle. <laughs> Lillard is like a comic book character who keeps getting rebooted every couple of years. It was really weird, though, when I saw him as a grown-ass adult man in Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't cool. I'm not here to see Matthew Lillard with middle-aged problems telling me he didn't kill his wife. <laughs> with a GeoCities webpage he's devoted his life to? That was perhaps the most David Lynch thing of that series, just, like, twisting... <laughs> Matthew Lillard into that character. Oh, a twist! I'm not here for you, woman. Give me the book! This weird, pointless twist that doesn't really add up. And Like, I think we all knew from the start that fucking... (laughs) He's coming back. Right? Like, you don't cast that caliber of actor... Just to kill him off in like the first scene after two lines, you know he's going to be back at some point in the third act. So the, oh, yeah. the twist is very flat. I'm glad he's here. I'm not opposed to it. It's just one of those, the audience is way smarter than the characters. Now that the characters are dumb, they're just like, been for an some arch reason, ghost, though, not being able to be understand the plot. Yeah, that's what frustrates me about that twist is it's so much cooler when you think he's just a ghost. I wish we had a whole generation of kids who looked at this scene like fucking Titanic. We're like, there's room for two of you behind the door. Run, Lillard. I'm pretty you sure Lillard just wants to die at this point. Yeah, well, he says that too. I'm, I was looking for a reason to like myself. Uh, but if I had to pick a way to go, being killed inside of a haunted glass mausoleum by a variety of very nifty ghosts, pretty cool. Has uh, Halloween Horror Nights done 13 Ghosts at all? Because if not, they should. This would make an amazing uh, haunted house. I was thinking that earlier in the movie. Just imagine walking through and each zone is like a different ghost. You could have 12 different rooms. You'd have to invent a new third. That's that's the last one is Lillard. He appears as himself. (laughs) Well, I I think you should do it. uh... You just have a drink with him. Talk about Scooby-Doo, it's great. No, I think it should be like uh, the Haunted Mansion, where at the end, you become the 13th ghost. Ooh, there's a mirror at the very end. Spoilers for the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) That ride that's been around since, like, 63. I love love how much slamming there is in this movie. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that puppet slamming the blood gush coming out of his mouth. It's effective. It's, It's simple, but it works so well. Um... Can we talk about the costume design of Matthew Lillard's character? Oh my god, I <laughs> like want that, that suit. red suit, like dinner jacket thing he's wearing, the smoking jacket. The fact he was wearing it underneath the jumpsuit, he pulls it off like underneath. he's fucking James Bond. Like, you can see it underneath the jumpsuit as he walks around and introduces himself as the electrician, and you're like, what the fuck? Kind of? <laughs> okay. 
it's it's a wonderful touch for that character, but it just feels like something Matthew Lillard just wore when he walked in. They're like, yes, that, keep it on. What I like is it has vaguely the same like uh, color scheme as Abraham and his cloak from the opening. So it's it's, it's like this weird henchman and, and a super villain thing going on. <laughs> so I, I don't have anywhere good uh, to say this in the commentary. So I'm just saying it while uh, the symbols are on the screen. Uh, you got like 14 minutes left, Jamie. Get it out. <laughs> Uh, after seeing this movie for the first time, my girlfriend became obsessed with getting the symbols of the Black Zodiac tattooed, <laughs> and I've never been more for something in my life. That's that up there with uh, anybody who sees Blade for the first time gets the Blade tattoo. Hold on, so so dumb question for me is is the Black Zodiac actually a thing? Like, did they did they just lift the symbols from a real thing and stick them in this movie? Uh, no. Yes and no. I believe there is technically, like, a Black Zodiac, but it has nothing to do with the version in this. That's just because I'm sure a lot of people have gotten to the name Black Zodiac over the past few hundred years. It's metal as hell. It's like how many fucking, uh, uh, circle of Black Thorns there are. Man, how annoying would it be if you died and you came back as a ghost in a hospital gown? Like, oh, this sucks. I would much rather be like the Torn Prince who gets to die in fucking, like, cool jeans and a leather jacket and a Corvette than, like, the guy who, like, died of colon cancer in the hospital, like, with his ass out in the hospital again. <laughs> All eternity, you're gonna look silly. Oh, that's the you know, tragedy of funerals. You know, they don't even get to wear the suits in the afterlife. I mean, it, well, it's even worse. Think of uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake where they have the zombie come out and his clothes fall off because they're fucking the clothes they bury you in. Like, they don't, they don't actually bury you in a real suit. They have to, like, cut the back out to just stretch it over top of you. Basically, uh, all bodies, all zombies should come back looking like they're wearing hospital gowns of real clothes. Oh! No, I wish Miss I Honey. I a little longer. That, that's fucking, what, that's Saw 5 right there before Saw 5? No, you have to save Shannon Elizabeth. For America. Okay, not, not to criticize a gag in this movie, because most of them I think are really well done. But honestly, as as the character's being squished behind the glass, wouldn't it have been amazing if a, her eyeball just popped out and shot that, right at the screen like you would too? I expect that every time I get to that shot. I'm always I always feels like I'm watching it edited for television. Like, no, yeah. there's supposed there's supposed to be an exclamation point there. Right? I don't know. There, there's been a couple of scenes where you actually get to see a character, like, squished to death. Not as many as you think. I think there's only, like, a handful, really, that are, like, well done. Most of them don't have eyeballs shooting at you, and it's a mistake. Sam Raimi would tell you otherwise, and he would do it. Okay. I, I looked up the, the, the real Black Zodiac, so I can now Ooh. read the actual signs of the Black Zodiac. Mike, be our wiki expert. Okay, it is the Tyrant. Okay. This is the version of Ares. Uh, the Fallen Demon, the Basilisk, oh. the Serpent, the War Maiden, the Maelstrom, the Ravenous, the Poison Dart, the Tempest, the Leviathan, the Beast, and the Sword. Those are way cooler than the it's names of the ghosts. pretty fucking cool, yeah. Uh, uh, we have metal. the Bound Woman and the Withered Lover. Oh, no, give me the fucking Basilisk. Oh, see, Arthur's counting the ghosts. We saw Pinky go down. 
Math teacher. The the Ravenous is such a great name for just... The Ravenous. Wouldn't that be a cool horror movie? The Ravenous. That's a Wendigo movie right there. That's a Wendigo. Can we do... Can they do that for the Blumhouse 13 ghosts? They use the real Black Zodiac. I mean, fuck. Why don't we just have a horror movie called The Black Zodiac and just remake 13 ghosts? I like the idea of someone having to release a copyright-free remake of 13 Ghosts. What's no great glasses. Is I, I don't know anything about astrology, really, so I have no idea, like, if there is any historical value to anything that I just read, or if it's just like, well, the idea of the Black Zodiac's cool from that movie, let's make a real one, so. Either way, better names. <laughs> The very, very small amount I know about astrology, right, is that each sign is is governed by the stars it was born under, like the position of the stars it was born under. So would the Black Zodiac just be the reflection of that? Or not the reflection, but the dark side of that? Yeah, I think so. Because right. each one came with, like, Tyrant was Aries, Fallen Demon was Taurus, Basilisk was Gemini, blah, blah, blah. Which one's Cancer? I'm a Cancer. I want to know what I am. Uh, let's see. You would be... You'd be the serpent. Hey, serpent buddies, Cody. Serpents! Pow! Not bad. I mean, there's... I'm the tempest. You are like the wind, wild in nature and carefree in your... That's a lie. (laughs) Yeah. See, now I'm mad at Oh, he said the title of the movie! (laughs) (laughs) They've said 13 Ghosts several times, actually. But this time, Amadeus said it. This fucking Batman Returns joke. (laughs) I wish movies wouldn't make that joke. I wish movies would not do, like, the fucking DJ sound whenever they need to have, like, an important breaking sound moment. I just love how this movie kind of just ends, like, and then she just does a thing, presses a button, essentially, the ghosts go away. Fucking destroyed the house. And then the house just blows up, everybody's fine credits. Oh, God, why did we make so many gears? Now, this movie really oh, is... Oh, shot! Oh! <laughs> I love that... Monster I don't know Avengers. what the name for the shot is. So, it's it's not like an Eye of God shot. It's like the opposite of it, because you're looking from the ground straight up. It reminds me very much of a shot that uh, Flanagan does in Doctor Sleep. There's... I always think of A Knight's Tale at the end of the movie where the villain's been mm-hmm. knocked off his horse and he looks up and all the other minor characters are basically talking about how he's being judged. That's the shot I think of when I associate that, you know, ground up. But it always works for me. You can't use it all the time, obviously. It'd be weird to film a movie that way. But when you hit it, ooh, baby. Ooh. Man, look at Matthew Lillard. So fucking cool as a ghost. He's the coolest ghost. It's the calmest Lillard has ever been. <laughs> I want so badly for Matthew Lillard to come to me at my darkest hour and remind me that the power was within me all along. God, that would give me the courage to jump through the gears of this machine to my family. For no reason, by the way. Just, I mean... He has to make a leap of faith, Mike. It was a leap of faith, right. This is the character moment. Tony Shalhoub realizes he loves his family so much, he'd rather be dead than live without them. Which is is kind of toxic, honestly. (laughs) 
I, I don't think you should be like that to other anyone else. You should you should have your own self worth, Tony Shalhoub. Don't jump through the oh you did it. See, I would argue that in attempting uh, to be with his family, this is Tony Shalhoub coming alive. Because oh, after well, having given up on uh, personal growth and uh, living his own life after the death of his wife, Tony Shalhoub was living as the 13th ghost, a man oh, dead inside. Oh, oh. Well, he wasn't trying to live as his own person. He was connected to his wife. That's Tony Shalhoub's problem in this movie. He's only worth living if he's attached to another person. He's a human parasite. <laughs> like Monk. Like Monk. <laughs> Very much oh wait! Like wait for the jackal to like skedaddle. <laughs> okay, fun part. Fun what, fact about this: one of the uh, ghosts is actually just a very, very fat man with an extra finger. <laughs> fun fact: that shot of the thirteen ghosts walking away and escaping was shot on September eleventh. <laughs> yeah, they mentioned that on the commentary. Like we were working for September eleventh, and like we heard the news, and it was very awkward. We all just kind of took a moment of silence. Like, oh, but everyone is dressed like the thirteen ghosts, and I right. love that just, so much. Just imagine having to go through that. Like, uh, all right, moving on. Time uh, is money, people. There's an amazing behind the scenes photo, like a Polaroid of the angry princess, like in a robe, uh, with uh, the dire mother, like behind her. I think like smoking a cigarette or something in a makeup room. <laughs> And I just wish that there was like a little, uh, like tube TV in the background on CNN, and the pl- the fucking the planes are hitting the the World Trade Center. <laughs> oh Jesus! Like God, the entire two thousands in a single image. Everything that was going to come. Well, anyways, uh, happy ending, except for the fact that Tony Shalhoub is, is still bankrupt. They're all homeless now. They're all homeless. They have no money left. The, their, their, their maid is leaving them. Actually, the, the lawyer had a shit ton of money. They could just walk through the ruins again and probably take the money back. But maybe maybe the ghost of Matthew Lillard would be like, hey, man, you're, you're rich if you just like walk back through some of the ruins here. <laughs> I love how the musical choice and the sudden smash to credit just makes the entire movie feel like a shit post. (laughs) (laughs) We've mentioned this many a time before, but I I do think more films should end like the Adams family where you just have a rap to explain the plot of the movie. If you're going to go with something hip hop, do it that way. Oh yeah. Like really commit to the bit. Don't even just do a bit of like hip hop. Hip hop. Oh, hey, look at the stunt coordinator. It's uh, Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. But like Freddy versus Jason, Jason Voorhees. It truly was 13 Ghosts. <laughs> I love 13 Ghosts. Honestly, like, yes, the, the structure How can you of the not movie love is. 13 Ghosts. It's well, a better like, question. It's, it's confusing because, like, if you listen to Mike talk about the movie, you would assume he hates it. However, we just did a whole commentary for it, which meant watching the movie several times to make notes and impressions. Uh, so we, we obviously love the movie enough to do that because I don't think we've done a movie we absolutely hated as a commentary before, right? Uh, look, look. 13 Ghosts is like a little brother that Mike likes to bully. I think yeah. highlighting the fact that it is so fucking stupid but is great simultaneously is why it's so special. 
Absolutely. It's, 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 a movie doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have its shit together, like, 100% to still be, like, fun and watchable and shitpost about it or anything. I think it's very fun. My problem with the movie really is the structure of the really long second act. Like, okay, if you were to break this movie down into a structure, which is, I get most people say you shouldn't actually break movies down to three act structures because that doesn't truly make sense. There's a lot of in-betweens and fragmented parts. But you have a really extended part where Arthur gets in the house and realizes it's filled with ghosts. That takes up a large chunk of the movie. Then the third act where they realize that Uncle Cyrus is actually a villain. That's essentially the third act. That's like your turning point where things have to change. That's a really small part of the movie. That's only like 10 minutes, maybe. So you have this very funky middle act where what happens? So they they kind of wander around the house trying to find the kid. And uh, just to add some twists to it, they realize there's someone else in the house. And then another twist, she's a double agent. But they, they don't move around the house that much. They don't go into that many separate rooms or like have different set pieces with the ghosts. They really have like that one encounter with the jackal, right? Yeah, pretty much. Jackal and the so hammer are the feels... only ones really get play. Yeah, so it's very thin. You've got 13, 12 ghosts, <laughs> and you don't really spotlight every single one of them into like a real moment. You only like the pilgrimess. You'd be forgiven for forgetting she was a part of the movie. I never. She's only shown in flashes. Yeah, I mean, all the other stuff is, like, interesting and fun to talk about from this, like, a, you know, you know, a movie construction standpoint. Like, oh, you know, it does this. And it's also kind of why it's special at the same time, like, why it's fun. The only real drag about its ill construction is that, quote-unquote, second act, which is mostly people, for some reason, still not believing there's ghosts, despite the fact that you can just put glasses on and see ghosts. They really should have had a They Live style fight, like 10 minutes of just Matthew Lillard yes. trying to put the glasses on Tony Shalhoub <laughs> in their wrestling. And the fact it is they just split up Scooby-Doo style and then wander around the house and nothing really happens. And you just keep hearing the same exposition over and over again. It's very weird to look at a movie this short and say you can really feel the length. Like if they cut a good 10 minutes out of this, I think it would be so much more digestible. I mean, that's the only legit bummer about it. Well, that and the kid's really annoying, and I wish he died. I, I mean, honestly, I, I even love the font. Like, I don't know if he survives. <laughs> I love the font. Thirteen ghosts. We didn't. We didn't even make fun of the fact that it's thirteen with the fucking number thirteen stuck in the middle officially. I, I'm obsessed with that because I didn't realize that until years later that that wasn't just a gimmick for like the VHS cover. No, it it is legally thir thirteen in the ghosts. Uh, if we want to talk something embarrassing, I got to get this out. I have to, I have to unload my sins to the audience before they leave. I didn't realize until taking notes for this movie that Dark Castle Entertainment <laughs> was a reference to William Castle movies. <laughs> it, it, it never occurred to me until I was taking notes. I'm like, oh, William Castle, Dark Castle. The first two movies were Dark Ca- William Castle movies. I'm not sure how to respond to this. Never once occurred to me. I thought Dark Castle, because their logo is like a gargoyle. Like, oh, it's a spooky old haunted house castle. And they make horror movies. <laughs> well, they used to make horror movies. They still do. Seance is a horror movie. Man, yeah, they're... they lease out horror movies now. Seance is a lot Bring of fun, Dark Castle way. back. Bring like, dark, full-fledged full Dark, dark castle, castle, like Hammer. Like, when Hammer yeah. promised that they were coming back, and then they release a movie every once in a while. Yeah, like uh, you want Daniel Radcliffe in a ghost movie? We can we can do that. 
You want a sequel to that? No, we made it. <laughs> Come on, J- J- get James Wan on some dark, dark, uh, dark castle pictures. I don't think WB, WB will let him go. That guy has made so many billions of dollars for him. True. Can we just retroactively make Malignant a dark castle picture? We should mention, this is a whole different conversation, but we need to appreciate the fact that James Wan is probably the most successful person in Hollywood over the last decade, and no one really notices. <laughs> he can kind of do anything. Like He's very, un- like, he's somehow a, like a name in pop culture. But like, no it's one weird because really Christopher Nolan is, made so. several big movies in a row, original movies and sequels and superhero movies, and everyone knows Christopher Nolan. Common folk know Christopher Nolan. James Wan is out there making Aquaman an extremely profitable venture in between, like, Fast and the Furious movies and everything else, making a Conjuring universe, and people are like, who's that? Oh, James? It's very, very weird. James Wan has the career that everyone thought Shyamalan was going to have after the first two movies. Yeah. I mean, good for that guy, but he he deserves a lot more, uh, you gotta put some respect on that name. He has done some incredible things in Hollywood. But I feel Uh, like the fact he's under the radar a little bit still, despite everything, gave us Malignant. Peter Jackson got King Kong just for making The Lord of the Rings. I feel like after Aquaman, he had, he had a... A King Kong coming, and he settled. And for he chose to malignant. make Malignant instead. That's well, actually, I love. That's amazing and very cool. But it's like you probably could have made two Malignants. Just ask for like the money <laughs> to make two at once, man. Though I am sad that Aquaman show. Um, oh, the, the trench. The trench? Didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. is doing his animated series, though. That's cool. But the trench not happening bothers me. That's a sad note to go out on. But folks, you the show has to end. <laughs> yeah. Now, folks, this has been 13 Ghosts. If you've enjoyed this commentary, we have plenty more at boxofficepulp.com. You can find more episodes of us, sometimes doing commentary, sometimes just shooting the shit, sometimes I'm not even in them. Those are the best ones. You can find more episodes of Box Office Pulp uh, basically through any podcast platforming system you enjoy. We are on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Actually, I don't think we're on Spotify. Don't look for us there. One day. Maybe. Who knows? Soon. Maybe. If you want to find us, we are at Box Office Pulp on Twitter. Uh, you can find my personal account at uh, BopWatch1 on Twitter. Uh, do you guys want to promote your Twitters or do you not want to meet strangers? I'm at Lucky Dick Napier. I'm at Mondo Funky, and I enjoy strangers as long as they're respectful. I like it when you're not respectful as a stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spit One of these monsters always lies. One of these monsters always tells the truth. (laughs) Anyways, folks, this has been Box Office Pulp. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Stay spooky. Happy Halloween. And get the hell out of here. I think that was your head hitting the desk. I have fallen over after finishing my mummy juice. It has killed me. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. We need we need to make a Halloween themed uh, wake up juice for Cody, which is just uh, essentially just throwing a bunch of cotton candy in a blender and liquefying it. You don't have to. What? My, no, too what? bad. You're dealing with it. You're dealing with it. It's cotton candy. It's a common part of drinks. You just pour any amount of alcohol on it and it dissolves. You don't have to blend it. <laughs> no, n- no. Candy corn is different. Oh, candy corn. I thought you said cotton candy. Candy corn is just, is its own animal, essentially. 
I can make a pretty good candy corn uh, cocktail, actually. It's it's all about separating the layers because you can have like a white alcohol on top. Like, I'm glad you're having a good time of it. I'm just fascinated by the concept of trying to put cotton candy in a blender. Right? Like, no, that's insane. Like that trying would... to turn it back into normal sugar? <laughs> <laughs> undo, undo, control Z! Okay, br- m- breaking down cotton candy at a molecular <laughs> level like you're Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> I really thought the post credit scene was Jamie going to say something else about fucking talking 13 ghosts right out of the womb. Like an unbirthing thing, but creepier. But I'm glad we did this. I kept it classy. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.